0: Hey, guys. On today's pod, I brought on Hoop Magazine contributor Joshua Everly. Josh covers the NBA at a national level, and we discussed the NBA offseason as a whole, NBA draft, free agency, the Golden State Warriors getting better, the Rockets getting worse, and of course, the Eastern Conference as a whole. I thought it was a really great pod. It always is whenever Josh comes on. Great insight. Make sure to check out all his writing at hoop.nba.com, and I hope you guys enjoy it.
1: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, Enjoying the summer and uh, gearing up for next year.
0: Yeah. um, We'll probably get at least a little bit less busy time coming up in August. However, who knows? You never know with NBA, obviously.
1: Yeah. um, Player movement-wise, probably. But honestly, some of the, the stuff that I do... Uh, I do a lot of off-season projects, a lot of collaborations, and then Hoop Magazine actually already starts pitching and working on on columns and uh, features for the annual mag come December. So I'll I'll, I'll stay steady.
0: (laughs) Well, good to know. Glad to see that you don't get any months off.
1: Yeah, there we go.
0: So I brought you on here to kind of give a national perspective. Typically, obviously, at Raptors Rapture, we talk about the Toronto Raptors. But just to kind of catch everybody up on the league as a whole and what to take away. Um, first off, I just what was your biggest takeaway from this all
1: season? Um, biggest takeaway from this, I I guess that, I you know I'm so so prone to recency bias. I, I just want to say that LeBron James. I can I can I just cheat and say three because I can't really. They're yeah, all so intermingled. Yeah,
0: that's fine.
1: So, so the, my, my triangle that I'm building here is LeBron goes to Los Angeles and that news is wiped out almost immediately by the Warriors signing DeMarcus Cousins. So point A to point B, greatest player in the world possibly of all time, moves to a team and it's, and it's more or less irrelevant overnight. So that's point two. Point three, the team that is closest to the Warriors in the Houston Rockets has an owner who says he's willing to spend whatever it takes to win a championship Is on record here in Summer League saying that he's willing to go into the luxury tax and, in fact, uh, if you want to win a championship, you have to do that unless you're extremely, extremely lucky. But while he's doing that, while the league, I think a lot of fans are hoping the Rockets are still going to be competitive – um, that they were close that they're going to run this back and give the warriors a real fight they're messing around with Quinn Capella that relationship could be you know fractured through this these negotiations they let Trevor Rizzo walk they let Lucamba Mute walk i just the, the, the that triangle of stories: the LeBron not being going to the Lakers and being on a contender for maybe the first time in in a decade, the Warriors being so great that nothing else matters, and the one team that could possibly challenge the Warriors not stepping up to do it. It's just it is is the picture for me.
0: <clears throat> I'm glad you brought up the Rockets. I think that's kind of the most under talked about storyline of the season the team that actually had the Warriors on the ropes and actually gave the Warriors a fight kind of dissolves in front of our eyes and no one's really talking about it I understand Trevor Ariza isn't a superstar player but he was the fourth best player Luke Richard Ambamute was hurt in that series but he mattered a ton for the Rockets and he gave them even more defensive options I think it's disappointing that you see the one team that fans were actually excited and thought could challenge the Warriors is kind of falling apart in front of our eyes for nothing other than what appears to be money reasons.
1: Yeah, you know what? It, it's I understand that they're in a tough situation, and it was pointed out to me, you know, by colleagues uh, that the Rockets' owner, new owner, spent roughly seventy-five percent. Yeah, to to acquire the Rockets. So I understand he's in a bit of a precarious position, but something I would really love to investigate or have investigated is what is the return on a team winning a championship versus what is the return on a team going to the conference finals? Because his moves to me kind of painted a picture of of two things. One, that they weren't as close as people want to think they were. And two, that winning a championship isn't bringing in the financial... Uh, upgrade or or surplus that you think that it would because for for them to be to, to on one hand have their management saying hey we were one quarter away we won Chris Paul injury away from possibly winning a championship from most likely winning a championship and then to not bring that core back you know it really contradicts itself
0: yeah it felt weird that Chris Paul got signed to a four year deal that he certainly won't be worth at the back end but that makes sense, and you're giving up, perhaps, value on the back end to s- compete for a championship now. And then you essentially, I don't want to say they get rid of their chance, but they certainly take a huge hit by not offering Trevor Ariza. I mean, one year, $15 million, I think, is a fair value for him. And then the Clint Capello situation feels even more weird to me, seeing as you're going to pay Chris Paul four years, 40 million dollars at the end of it and you don't want to offer your 24 25 year old center who's one of the top seven players in the league at his position
1: yeah it's very weird and i think people are underestimating like i've made plenty of jokes about trevor ariza going oh and 12 in that final game and i think that's everyone's right if you participate on nba twitter to go in on players when they have this kind of nights, but but he was probably their most effective Kevin Durant defender, and like that's not saying much. And Kevin Durant still got, you know, pretty much everything he wanted in every third quarter of those games. But you know, you need someone who's long and agile and can switch. And and the the reply that you get is they have P.J. Tucker. Well, one wing's not enough because you also have a Clay Thompson, you also have a Draymond Green, you also have Steph Curry coming on the switch. So they really, really thrived with Paul hard in isolation taking turns and long defenders, and they gave two up. Um, you know, I, they brought in James Ennis today, which I think you know could be a light version of that. Maybe he fits in and provides more defense than, he, than I'm thinking he will off the hop, but it, it was just a weird decision.
0: <clears throat> and when you play PJ Tucker, yeah, you can slide him into the Kevin Durant role, but then you need someone to play the PJ Tucker role, you know, it's not you don't just sub one in and then you don't lose the other. So it's definitely a weird situation talking about the team they're playing, the Golden State Warriors. What did you think of the DeMarcus Cousins signing? Do you think it's – you know, NBA Twitter broke for a little bit talking about the league's unfair. There's, I mean, not people that I find super kind of relevant, but – Other people are asking the NBA to step in. Obviously, that's an absurd take. But what was your biggest takeaway from DeMarcus Cousins signing Golden State?
1: Yeah, you know, I tweeted it out even before the news came, like right when it dropped, knowing exactly what happened. I'm giving myself a little bit of kudos, (laughs) a little bit of self-love. But it was exactly what I thought it was. It was no one was willing to pay to Marcus Cousins. He felt disrespected. This is a guy that puts up max-type numbers when he's healthy. No one believes he's going to be healthy. No one believes he's worth that money, whether it's his attitude, whether it's the risk of him coming back, whether it's the way he holds onto the ball. Um, And he rolled out the Bill Russell middle finger and said, you know what? No one's going to pay me fine fine I'll go to the Warriors on the MLE and I kind of like I hate it I absolutely hate it I I think the Warriors are already stacked enough but at the same time I also respect it because if that was the situation he was in and you know he claims he didn't get an offer the Pelicans said they offered him two years 40 million around when the injury hit which isn't the same as offering him a deal when free agency opens but um you know I understand it I, I understand feeling like you're worth more than what you're being paid for and no one believes in you and I I kind of I kind of love the move on on his behalf, on on behalf of everyone else in the league. It sucks, but um, I I think people are absurd who are saying like we should veto it. Like one, people don't understand with the Chris Paul situation, in the Los Angeles Lakers. And I'm sure you know. Like,
0: yeah, that's the one. Smart. I think fans get that mixed up all the time. Obviously, not people who follow the league closely, but if you're a casual fan, they don't yeah. understand that deal.
1: And I mean. Uh, we should always explain it we should explain it as many times as possible because i hate hearing people complain about it it's- you know, at the time New Orleans was owned by the league and the owners on a whole, it wasn't it wasn't them saying, "Oh, this is too unfair; we can't do it." It was them saying, "Well, we own this property, and we're stepping in because this is a terrible trade, yeah, and it's it not good for us as a you know as an ownership group." All the other NBA owners and the NBA on a whole, it wasn't a, "Oh, we can't possibly let that do that; we're going to veto it. it." It was it was a business decision because they were without an owner, and it's a completely different situation. But I do think on the other side of that back to DeMarcus Cousins, people who were like, oh, he doesn't move the needle. Oh, well, he holds onto the ball too long. Oh, well, like he probably won't be healthy anyway. I'm like... DeMarcus Cousins could literally come back with one leg and he would be more helpful than David West at this point in his career. Like, yeah, He would be more helpful than Zaza Pachulia. Even if he gives you 20 minutes a night and in those moments where Steve Kerr does crazy things that Steve Kerr does and he sits Steph Curry and Kevin Durant together, now your offense runs through DeMarcus Cousins rather than Sean Livingston and David West. And you cannot tell me that that's not an upgrade. So he will find a role. He will be a difference maker for this team. Um, I, I, I don't think he... It, it, it's not a veto-type move, it's not that insane, but it, it, it's a very good move by the Warriors and speaks to their culture and how good they are right now.
0: See, I don't think I'm quite as... I agree with you on the upside of it working out. I think I'm a little more skeptical when it comes back to him coming back from injury. Just considering who have we really seen come back from an Achilles within one year and look, even 80% of themselves, I guess Rudy Gay has... But the the list is certainly short, and then when you throw in the fact that he's seven foot and that his conditioning hasn't always been the best throughout his career, I think that the upside is you can't switch them anymore because Boogie's going to demolish a switch. I think the downside, I, it's not too much. I think, I guess, worst comes to worst, you just lost your mid-level exception. But I think the it's being overblown. Is I see this more as a shot that it's really successful, and I think that there's a decent percentage chance that it's a little bit overrated as far as you're certainly not getting all-star boogie cousins.
1: Well, see, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Like there was a video from Tom Haberstroh out where he, you know, in November something was the one year or the I don't know the mark. I, I didn't watch the whole thing, but that the mark where his Achilles could be good, you know, we've seen it with Dominique Wilkins, we've seen it with Rudy Gay. Yes, it's not a, it's not a large history, but it, it, if he sits out till January, like if they want to give him an extra four or five months, they can do that. And I think people also underestimate that. Demarcus Cousins has a shot. Like Steph Curry was joking, but this is a guy that shot, I want to say forty percent on spot up threes last year. So if you kick him out to the corner, he can hit. You know, you can't switch. You know, we were talking about the Trevor Ariza, P.J. Tucker. You cannot switch Trevor Ariza on, onto DeMarcus Cousins at the elbow. Like, it's not going to go well. I, I I think he gives this team options that they've never really had. And I also think people who, who made comments about his defense underestimate, you know, just how pissed off and motivated he's going to be and the size. And, you know, like... Javel McGee does some good things in five, ten minutes a game, but like DeMarcus Cousins can do them longer and he's a good rebounder. I just think his value actually has been almost undersold. Uh,
0: see, I think it, it depends on who you ask. If maybe perhaps someone like me is undervaluing. I think the general public is overvaluing just because they see all yeah, stars. True. But I think I think you're right. There is a kind of an NBA hipster trend that I'm almost on, I would say, to yeah. devalue him here. It's just, I think their biggest weakness. If I'm the Warriors, I think my biggest weakness was depth, and you saw that with the Andre Iguodala injury. I'm not sure you couldn't split that mid-level up and kind of get a couple more wing players, a couple wing shooters. Because to me, when they're at their best, they're not playing a center anyways. And if he returns back, I'm not obviously the rewards are wrap up the season. They've won it easily. If he doesn't, I just think. I think the chance of him coming back is 50% of his former self or higher than people indicate.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think the general public overrates it and NBA hipster, NBA Twitter underrates. I, I would probably agree on that. But I, and the other thing is like, I agree to the Warriors roster construction. I mean, this team was a lot to win before Boogie and, and people got to remember that, but I, I'm in the camp where I don't even think Houston was that close. I think Golden State played down to their competition saw in Game 6 and Game 7 against Houston where they just had no effort. Grant was getting killed on the boards. They weren't in sync. And in the third quarter of both those games, they just blew the damn doors off them. Now, being that I believe that, and looking at that roster, seeing the fact that they had five bigs on that team, none of which that they really wanted to play, I, I think getting Patrick McCaw back, um, working in their first-round pick, finding a role for Boogie, I, I think they're going to be fine. I if they made it through last year with David West and Zaza and JaVale and Yvonne Looney and, and they found a way, I, I, th- I think next year is just going to be a cakewalk.
0: Yeah, that was the weird thing about their roster is that they somehow had seven centers on the roster, none of which were good. So it was always kind <laughs> of a weird mismatch of who they could play. It, it will certainly be interesting to see next year how they – even get by at the center position until Boogie comes back? Because like you said, I don't think he'll be back until way later just based on what's the point of rushing him back.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's an insane luxury. Like, hey, we have an all-NBA center. We have an all-star. We have a guy that most teams, you know, if he was healthy, would be so excited about and be a total game-changer. And we are just, well, if he he gets back and, and he's a plus in however many minutes we give them, that's, that's great. You know, like they're in the Ned Flanders, like, hum-diddley, just-living-life yeah. mode. And, I mean, it, it's disgusting, but that, that's how talented that team is.
0: Yeah, I'm certainly going to be a rough toe and hopefully, for Boogie's sake, he can work himself back and get something a little bit closer to his previous value because, like you said, I don't think the offers were out there for him either. For Your third thing we didn't get to talk about yet is the LeBron going over to the Lakers. What, what do you think motivated him to go to a team that essentially has no chance of contending? At least in my eyes, has no chance of contending this year. Even, even with the Kawhi, it would be tough, but certainly without Kawhi, I don't think they have any chance of really contending to win the West.
1: Yeah, I I think there's some funny business going on. I, I think you know to be honest, and I'm not call out names. There was an awful lot of um, <clears throat> biased reporting that that's gone on and continued to go on since LeBron James went there. Um, you know, the Lakers have have people in their camp that work in in prominent positions in the media, and this narrative and that this is a team that lebron was involved in building and this was their plan and actually they didn't even think they were getting paul george and Kawhi leonard but javel mcgee is a two-way game changer for them you know like this it's 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 a load of bowl like it, it's a load of crap i i think lebron james you know and it's sad to say because i'm a lebron james fan and i like to see him be successful and he's the best player in the world and he's so much fun to watch when he's you know, kicking ass and taking names. But I think he made a decision, you know, to better his business, his lifestyle and, and his family. I don't think this was about basketball. If it was about basketball, he would have waited till Kawhi was insured or if Paul had come or if they traded for Lillard or whatever it was. The fact that he signed on immediately, didn't even grant a face to face meeting with with Philadelphia or Cleveland That he left right away after, you know, that he wasn't around. Prior in Miami and Cleveland, he had a plan. You know, Wade and Boscher coming, we're gonna tear it up. When he go back to Cleveland, no, I'm not waiting to see what Wiggins is, we're getting love. Like for him to be to just disappear, not show any interest in the process, and you know, be quiet as they sign Lance Stevenson, JaVel McGee, and Contavious Caldwell Pope, to me says this guy isn't really invested in winning a title, whether that's because You know, the Warriors are just unmatched and he can't get over them no matter what they do. Or he realized, you know, a couple weeks back that Kawhi and George weren't going to be able to come, whatever it was. I think this year they've more or less thrown in the towel and they're not going to say that. And they're going to develop their young guys and they're going to get better. And they'll win, you know, 45 to 50 games with LeBron there and they'll improve and they'll take another run at it next offseason. But here's the thing. This was the offseason where the Lakers had the money, where they had the leverage. Like Kawhi wanted out. He wanted to come there. You know, there were six other teams with max salary heading into the offseason other than them. They didn't get anybody. I mean, other than LeBron, they didn't get anyone. And if LeBron came and you had the market corner and you still couldn't get anyone, you know, what are the chances of getting someone next year? And I'm not trying to be overly critical. I think that there's still a possibility. I just think this played bad for them and them pretending that this was the plan and they just didn't get some bad luck or, you know, caught the bad spin is funny. Uh,
0: it's funny we talked about how no one has a chance to beat the Warriors I think you kind of saw that with LeBron's decision I think it's almost kind of a punt from him like I might as well go to LA have some fun I'll be in Los Angeles instead of Cleveland I'll build my brand a little bit because I'm not going to beat this Warriors team and there's nothing he could realistically do for, maybe if he gave it a run with Philadelphia although that would seem kind of almost like a mercenary move. I just – I think this was more of a signal from him. I don't know if I can compete with this team, so I might as well go to L.A. I think you're exactly right on the signings of the Lakers. I mean, they signed John Rondo, who is not a good defender anymore, at least during the regular season, during the playoffs. I mean, there's a reason there's playoff Rondo. Everybody wants to joke about playoff Rondo, but that's because there's a regular season Rondo. So – He doesn't play defense, can't shoot. They had JaVale McGee, doesn't play defense, can't shoot. And they had Lance Stevenson, who doesn't play defense and can't shoot. I think that everybody talking about he's going to convert into this new player who plays the four and plays fast, I'm on the board that I'll believe it when I see it. I've watched LeBron play his entire career. He's been always apt to play alongside shooters and kind of dissect you in the half court. It seems like that's how he likes to play. Even when Miami played, they didn't play absurdly fast, and that was way more built to run than this team. And I think, like you said, I think it's a lot of spin saying that the Lakers somehow have this master plan that no one can see to convert LeBron's game. When in reality, they struck out on all the other free agents, and now that they have LeBron, they'll be much better because he's, at least as of last year, the best player in the world but I think it's a lot of positive spin to somehow act like the rest of this all season has gone anything but terrible.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I think it's a, it's a load of crap, as I said earlier. But also, there's this notion that Le- like they're selling, LeBron needs more playmakers. And there was a quote from an executive in a Ramona Shelburne piece where this executive said, like, shooters are harder or easier to find than playmakers. I just, one, I don't think that's true. And two, like, why does LeBron need a playmaker? Like everyone's comment was like he missed Kyrie and um, they needed someone else to take pressure off of him, so he didn't have to run the offense constantly. And like I just don't think that's true. Like he he absolutely annihilated every defense all the way up to the Warriors, including the Warriors in Game One, which we won't even talk about that stupid game. Um, but. But he absolutely dominated and he did it with guys like Jeff Green shooting thirty percent spot up in the corner. Like if if you had a team of the, the recipe with LeBron James has been and will always be, you know, three and D. You know, they had guys all around him who neither shot threes or played D, and he dragged them to the finals. So to tell me that like what he needs is playmakers and Lonzo, Rondo, and Stevenson, none of who can shoot a lick, is the answer? Like I'm sorry. I don't buy it. And, and LeBron's quote you know, in the playoffs about, I would love to play with more intellectuals or whatever it was. Like, I want to play with smarter players. Uh, you can't tell me LeBron was involved, and he was like, you know who's a really smart guy that I would love to have? next to me in the closing minutes of games, Lance. Lance really whispered some truth into my ear. Like, no, come or, on. Or JaVale. Yeah, you know? or ja- <laughs> yeah. I like the way McGee dunked on us <laughs> six times in the playoffs and did nothing else. Yes. Amazing. It's amazing
0: how he fought his way to find those open dunks. Yeah, I it's funny to me with LeBron, especially during the playoffs, I I've watched enough of his career to know he's going to Find the mismatch, destroy the mismatch, and then kick out to an open shooter who will or not hit that shot. I just, yes, you need a little bit of extra secondary playmaking in order to play off the bounce, but yeah, like you said, you want guys who can defend, guys who can shoot the three, and that's what you have to value above everything else. And the Lakers almost got none of that, and they did sign them to one-year contracts. I understand that, and I'm not saying that the organization is doomed by any stretch. But if we're just talking for next year, I mean, I don't see them. I would say that they're maybe fifth, fourth in the East. I don't think they're better than Houston, Golden State, or the Jazz. And I'm, and I'm not even sure about that next tier of teams, who they're better than.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough, too. And if and, and you look at other teams in that conference, and you look at the Dallas Mavericks, who were really, really feeling themselves? You know, drafting Luka Doncic, signing DeAndre Jordan, the Phoenix Suns signing Trevor Ariza, you know, drafting DeAndre Ayton, uh, Denver Nuggets bringing back Will Barton and Nikola Jokic. Um, who else am I forgetting? Memphis getting Mike Conley back, drafting Jaron Jackson Jr. Like, there, there are five teams that didn't make the playoffs last year who would like to see themselves in the playoffs this year, in the Nuggets, Lakers, Suns, Mavericks, and Grizzlies. And as much as people were like, okay, LeBron's going to come, and they're going to be you know, the third best team in the conference, which they could be, I look at this roster, I look at them, in my eyes, punting on the year, and I'm like, I, I think this might be the least engaged we've ever seen LeBron. Over an 82 game season, and I think that's saying something when he's been on teams that should win 65 games and they win 51 or 52 because he's down to coast and he knows they're gonna get there. I, I I just think he knows that this team isn't going anywhere.
0: Yeah, I can't wait till the Vegas odds come out or the over/unders. I'm gonna hammer the under on the Lakers. I gotta think that they're not winning. I the hype on them has been absurd to me. I saw someone say that they're the second best team in the West and. I just – I don't see it. But as we move to the JV Conference, the Eastern Conference that the Raptors are in, the biggest story obviously is LeBron leaving um, for the first time in – is it, it was eight, right? Eight years someone else will win the Eastern Conference besides LeBron James. Yeah. For you, do you think it's kind of pretty clearly Boston, Philly, Toronto, Indiana – that order, or do you have something different?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna lead the charge on Milwaukee turnaround here because I led it last okay. year and I died in the, I died in the front lines. <laughs> I, so. will,
0: I was with you actually. I was the one before the season saying that they are the surprise team of the East. So
1: yeah, I yeah, like I, I I ran out there like Jon Snow in Game of Thrones, just right into the fire. <laughs> yeah, just double smoke. down. Little finger didn't save me, but I, you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna get back up. I'm gonna try it again. and I'm gonna say uh, Boston, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Toronto, Indiana, I, I think in that order. and you know Indiana might even be a better team than Toronto. I, I have a really gross gut feeling that this Raptors team is going to struggle to be engaged, you know, have have great team morale. Uh, even with even with LeBron gone like the the humiliation of this last defeat and the repeated failings in the playoffs to then scapegoat your coach bring someone up who was already in the locker room and make no major changes to date is just uh, to me it feels defeating and i i just don't know if this team has what it takes to to run it back again and on top of that you know Serge is getting up there Kyle Lowry's getting up there I don't think DeRozan can play much better than he played the last two years I just you know I, I'm, a, I'm a believer in OG I think the development of Pascal Siakam Iakoperto is interesting I just I think the Raptors have topped out
0: yeah I, I don't think it's an unreasonable stance to take to say that the Toronto Raptors have hit their peak I think just based on how good they were in the regular season i still have them over indiana i think it's possible that Gerald Depot regresses just a little bit i certainly think he's still going to be an elite level player um, but it will be interesting to see where they are i think placing them third although like you said if i think milwaukee indiana are two teams that are possible to overtake them i don't that's about it that I could realistically see. I mean, there's always a worst case scenario things fly off the rails, but I think you're looking between second and fifth seed for the Toronto Raptors next year, seeing as maybe something happens with Philadelphia. I don't think it's likely, but I don't think it's impossible.
1: Yeah. I, I I would love to see a Pistons Raptors first round series. I, 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 that would be just amazing television. Um, and I, uh, I think Dwayne Casey handled it very, very well, and and he's a great guy, and I wish him all the best in Detroit. That Detroit roster is kind of a mess, but you know, if he goes and he has a great year and he turns that Detroit team around, one that looks great on him, and two, it, it would present a, a really cool opportunity for fans in the playoffs. But I, but I agree with you on Philadelphia. There, I feel like I'm crazy in every radio spot I've done, in every podcast. You know, you kind of have this conversation about the East opening up. And you know Kawhi Leonard and what should the Sixers cough it all up to get him and and, and all of that conversation. I feel like I'm the only one who remembers that Joel Embiid played less games than Greg Oden right, for the first yeah. three seasons of his career, and he was mostly healthy last year. And it was a fluke injury that had him miss the 13 or whatever at the end of the season. But it still kind of feels like he could go down at any time. And then what happens to this Philadelphia team? Uh, in that case, and I, and I hope that doesn't happen. And I by all like I don't want to be a pessimist, but Embiid is not a certainty to be dominant for the next ten years. So I look at the team like the Sixers, and I'm thinking like you have this window now. The East is wide open. You're so close. Why wouldn't you trade for Kawhi Leonard and, and really take a run at a, at a championship? I think the here and now is so cur- is, is currently so undervalued by NBA teams. Like if you if you see a window, you need to take it because dynasties come and dynasties fall. You never know when the next one's coming, and you know teams try to project so many years ahead. But if you have a team on paper that could be in the NBA finals, like you need to seriously consider you know rolling the dice.
0: I totally agree. I think teams often overestimate the size of their windows and it's not till after the windows are already closed that they look back and think, wow, like that, that team blew up faster. I think the obvious example that comes to mind is Oklahoma City when we thought that they were gonna play in the finals for however many years and it only ended up being one finals appearance. But even Miami's run was a lot shorter than I think people thought it was gonna be, obviously, it was only one contract length for LeBron, and I think that teams constantly are thinking, oh, I think in three to four years is when we'll reach our peak. When you're in the top four or five teams, I think it's just you need to go for it at that time.
1: Yeah, I I agree, and I think even more than their own windows, teams do a terrible job of analyzing the field, like a terrible job, because one, it's impossible. Like, no one could have predicted the insane string of luck and fortune that put the Warriors in the situation that they're in now. Like, no one could have done that. But, two, you look at – you mentioned that Miami team. Like, they were supposed to win four straight. They didn't think they were going to get punched in the mouth by Dallas. They did. So then they ran it back and they, you know, took care of the Thunder fairly easily. And, and it, you know, everything was right as rain. And, you know, they were on back on track to win not two, not three. But – no one expected the Spurs to just rebound like they did. Like they were, everyone thought the Spurs were, were falling off. Like it felt like a, a conversation every year. Like I think the Spurs are finally, you know, done, and they got swept by or they lost to Memphis in the first round. Oh, I think they're done. But Kawhi Leonard. You know, coming from from where he was, and, and them, you know, rejuvenating that program, people didn't see it coming, and so all of a sudden they had a really legitimate rival for those last two years, and, and almost underachieved in some way. So I think, I think as much as teams are looking at their own core, like oh, in three four years we'll be awesome, they can't possibly account for who's going to be there when. Like who? What? What if uh, Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant decide to go to New York next year or Brooklyn? They, you don't know. You never know. That's a good
0: point. I think teams kind of pop up out of nowhere right before you. eyes. a 73-win Warriors team, it's not like that they were a bad team this season prior, but I think you would have been hard-pressed to find anybody who saw this in them. And like you said with the Spurs, I, I was one of those people after they lost to the Grizzlies. I thought, well, you know, maybe it's time that you re- retool here around a couple different pieces and kind of move on, but... There they were, fighting back the Heat, and I thought even after they lost the next year that they wouldn't be, back, be able to overcome the Heat, and then they obviously had that six-game series win where they absolutely looked dominant. It was, it's, The NBA is so much more random than what organizations and fans like to give it credit, and I think you're right. When you have a chance to go after it, it's time to go. If you're Philadelphia, it's easy to say, well, we have Joel Embiid under contract, Ben Simmons under contract. But Embiid's health is certainly nothing to take for granted. I think Simmons, again, had a broken foot. It's not like he's – I mean, he's been clean other than that, but it's not completely clean. I think if you're one of those teams, why not go in now and try to make the quiet move?
1: Yeah, and I i feel like Jeff Goldblum in that Jurassic World, Talking about like chaos and like life life will find a way and but like you, you look at the teams you just you just never know like what's gonna happen and 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 I think about summer league too where like in during March Madness people had one idea of what a player player looked like. And then come the draft with no games in between with some workouts, they had a different, different idea. Then after three <laughs> summer league games, they have a different idea. And it's like people flip on a dime so quickly. Not everyone. If you're a responsible fan, I'm not talking to you and good on you. But the takes are just flying. And, and, and NBA teams do the same thing. They have their models and they have their scouts and they have different people speaking in different years. with the same idea. And, and I think Philadelphia's a good team for this because beyond Embiid, what, what if Ben Simmons just outright can never shoot? Like, I, yeah, I think he'll figure good, I mean, it that's out. that's a good question. And every, yeah. I, every, everyone talks about Embiid's health. Everyone talks about Markel Fultz having, you know... Forgot how to shoot a jumper. Yeah, psychological issues, or whatever it is now, whatever the line is now. But what if Ben Simmons, who had this amazing rookie year, but was totally phased out by Brad Stevens in the playoffs because the man can't find a shot in today's NBA and controls the ball? Like, what if that never happens? Like Kobe Bryant was telling him he should switch hands. You know, like I, I'm not in that locker room. I don't know what those decisions are, are going to be and what his work ethic is like, and and I can't tell the future. But there is a there's a situation here where he never becomes. The superstar that he's supposed to be, and uh, if you listen to the Ben Simmons podcast, he has—I think his name's—I'm Her- going to say his name wrong. I f- forgive me. Harold Bob. Harold Her- oh, yeah, yeah. Bob. I've, I heard,
0: listened. I didn't listen to that one, but I heard his most recent one where he was on it.
1: Yeah, so he's—he's he's been on a bunch of them, a bunch of episodes over the years, and he's an NBA Twitter superstar, and and he was talking about how like development isn't this like beautiful. Triangular arc, where every year you like go further up the mountain and come all the way down, which like we should all know. But there's stuff like Jason and Tatum and Ben Simmons. Everyone's expecting like, wow, they were like on the fringe of being all stars year one, year two. Like they should be all NBA players. Where like I don't think that's likely to happen. Like there's a situation where neither improves much, or they take a s- step back as sophomores and teams adjust. And and like people people overestimate growth one way or the other often.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's more, it's discrete jumps of improvement rather than a continuous curve. So you might have a player look largely the same through three years and then in the fourth year add something to his game and takes a crazy leap. Um, it's way less, it's just not predictable in the way that people like to make it out to be.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, look at Victor Oladipo. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh... Look, look at look at Oladipo and and maybe it wasn't like obviously I saw you know the videos of him getting shredded and the photo of him losing the weight and getting cut and maybe that was part of it maybe it's the physical fitness that he ramped up to another level but also maybe it's just the fact that he had a franchise that believed in him that wasn't you know Kings East and the Magic and, and said hey we trust you and we see your talent and we want you to rock out. And maybe it was just that faith that was given to him, or maybe it was Nate McMillan's system. I don't know, and I watch the NBA every single night, all year. I can't tell you with complete certainty, but those situations exist and they exist both ways. like there there's a world where Tatum is a future MVP, There's a world where Tatum never uh, tops the the rookie year. so i I just think people are are overly brazen in what they predict, and that and that goes all the way up to NBA organizations deciding not to jump or to jump when they have this this opportunity in front of them.
0: Speaking of predictions, who do you think is going to be the best rookie from this year's class? Just put you on the spot right now.
1: Um, like I was saying before, everyone's predictions other than mine are complete yeah. junk.
0: <laughs> yes, but yours is you know a
1: Yeah. No, you know what? Honestly, I'll stick with Luka Doncic. I, I think um, – I tried very hard this year not to be as hot takey with the draft because I'm watching NBA every night. I'm not watching the NCAA. I'm not a Draft Express guy, but a lot of smart people. I made a real effort to read a lot of people who covered the NCAA all year, Europe all year, that were doing mocks every couple of weeks, um, and, and I just feel like Luka Doncic is the guy. Like the Euro MVP. You know, he, he played. He looked like a man amongst boys, and he was the boy amongst men. Now he gets to come into the situation where like the team believes in him. I, I I think he would be my first first pick, but I, I like a lot of the guys. Like I think Bagley got a bad deal. Um, a lot of the NBA guys didn't like him, uh, but I think he's a, he's a great talent. He does remind me a little bit athletically of Amari Stoudemire. Uh, Wendell Carter looked great at summer leagues. Knox obviously good at summer league. Uh, I I'll say Doncic, but I think this is going to be a good rookie class.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I think I I've, I've watched some of Doncic more than anything. I I don't give my opinion too much on the draft just based on I do, I don't have an opportunity. I'm so I watch the NBA more than anything, so I don't want to act like I'm watching these college prospects when I'm not, you know, giving them a full grade, but I watch from what I've seen of him, he looks like he understands the game and he mostly looks like a guy that I could fit into almost any team and plug him in right away. I think that's one of the biggest things, especially when you're a lottery team like Dallas or, like, obviously any of the top guys. You're building your team, and you'll have to add future players to it. And I think Luca fits in so nicely to just about any role that you need him to do.
1: Yeah, he. And you know what? I uh, Rick Carlisle talking about him in the press conference. Like, yeah, he's gonna. We're gonna run the offense through him at times. We he might start at small forward. We might play him at power forward. Just like he gives a ton of options. People don't realize how big he is. Like he's 6'8", 280 pounds. He's a big boy. Uh, you know, with, with great playmaking ability. I, I don't think that he. I think people who are really really in his camp claiming he was a future MVP or like an instant All Star yeah. are overshooting it a little bit. Like I I kind of saw like a more. Uh, Atlanta Hawks Joe Johnson, Brooklyn Nets Joe Johnson, but playing in the small ball lineup, a little bit better playmaking uh, maybe, but that's kind of where I, I saw his ceiling, not that I'm really entitled to make such a claim, but I, I think he's going to be a very good player and, and the, honestly, I don't understand, the the, the two guys I, I the picks that I didn't really like were DeAndre Ayton at number one to the Suns, and Colin Sexton to the Cavaliers at number eight and with Sexton, it's just you know, it's a stereotype, but I just don't want a small point guard that can't shoot threes. In today's NBA, if you can't shoot, I don't want you on a hole. But if you can't shoot and you're small, like you're going to get abused on defense. The offense is going to stay in your hand too long. You know, defense is going to sink off of you if you can't knock down the shots. So a Sexton pick didn't make a ton of sense to me. And Aiden, like everyone, every smart person that I know that was covering the draft was down on Aiden. Like He has no no hope defensively, his head's not entirely in it, he takes Carmelo Anthony, he has a Carmelo Anthony type shot selection when he really should be running down the block. Everything I read about this guy was like pretty pessimistic and yet the Suns were 100% in on him right away in a large part I think because of the local tie and it's just so weird to me.
0: Yeah, when's the last time we saw a guy who's been bad on defense in college go out to be dominant in the NBA? I think that just doesn't happen and I think in a league where offensive center is becoming less and less important, it really bothers me that you would go get a guy who can't play defense that way. Well, I mean
1: even, Yeah, yeah. I like I one hundred percent, I'm with you. Like, if you're big in today's NBA, you need to be able to switch everything, or you need to be an elite rim rim protector, right? Like, uh, Carl. Even the, so, with the the floor ceiling predictions that you get with rookies all the time, the floor is always like really terrible, and they're probably never going to be that bad. You know, see Trey Young and Jimmy Fredette, and the ceiling is always like super unreasonable. Everyone's going to be Kevin Durant or LeBron James. But when you got the ceiling answer on DeAndre Ayton, it was like he could. You know, split the difference between Carl Anthony Towns and Demarcus Cousins.
0: Yeah. And I saw I'm like. a lot of boogie being his and, high end, high
1: end. Yeah. And it's okay. I'm like, at his absolute best, he's a guy that's never made the playoffs <laughs> high usage, slow pace big. Like, he, I mean, that's a good player. And with, with a lot of other good players, you could be successful. But, like, building around a big that, that doesn't run the floor extremely well, doesn't protect the rim extremely well, and slows down your offense. It, it, who, who's winning with that guy? Like Anthony Davis is the only high usage big that you can can say you can build a team around with absolute certainty right now, and it's because he's all world at both ends. Like I mean, he's just yeah, he's a generational player that type talent. Yeah.
0: So I'm with you. I I also agree with you on uh, Colin Sexton. For a guy to be that ball dominant, it worries me that if you're going to be that ball dominant, I think you have to be just a game changer of a player and I don't think that he is well Well, go ahead
1: well I was going to say like even like I was trying to find like the spin the positive spin on him And I was looking at his numbers, and even, like, his assist turnover ratio was, like, just terrible. It was, like, three assists to two-point-something turnovers. So he's not a great playmaker. He's not a great scorer. He's not a great shooter. He's small. He's not a great defender. And, and like, the the number one highlight from this kid, like, the one thing everyone wants to talk about is him staring down, like, Penny Hardaway's son at the free throw line. (laughs) I'm just, like... Man, I need I need a little more to be inspired, but yeah. So the, the, those were my two. I don't really know what we're doing here, picks.
0: Yeah, well, I'm with you, especially on the eight and the local ties and the staring down Penny Hardaway. That's not a reason to draft anyone, I think. So, well, I'd love to talk to you about much more, but I know you're a busy guy. You got to run. It was great talking to you. Um, hope to have you on again.
1: Yeah, no, it was fun. Sorry, I I was terrible at getting back to you, but I'm glad we made that. <laughs> yeah, no problem.
0: All right, talk to you later, man.